Hi, I'm Matana DeWitt, joined by Dr. Drew Johnson. Welcome to Discover Your Roots, a podcast that will give you tools for understanding the Bible in its original context and its wisdom for today. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. We are back again. We have just covered poetry in depth. Hopefully you've had a chance to do some poetry reading of your own, some out loud reading. Um, Hopefully that's been helpful to you. So now we're going to move from poetry to talking about the law. And I know that whenever I say the law, that probably sounds a little bit bit heavy and and weighty and... um, Yeah, you probably have some thoughts whenever we say the law. So we're going to talk a little bit about what the law actually looks like. Um, The the Torah, the the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible, what it looks like there, then how we can kind of like uh, reconceptualize it for um, a helpful understanding in the Bible. Maybe letting go of some of the, the previous understandings and assumptions we have about the law based on our own current context. So um yeah, what can you tell us about the law? Kind of like leading I love into the way that you said topic. The law. Have you ever seen Pee Wee's Big Adventure? No. Oh, <laughs> I haven't. Yeah, there's a line in there where he says the law. The and law. Then the other guy's like, yeah, the law. <laughs> Almost like this, the bad. You know, um, the law is the man, Johnny Five. <laughs> it's like um, laying the law down. That's what I think about when I yeah, hear laying the law down. Yeah. yeah. So, so if somebody said, "Well, Matanic, give us a law." That you think is just like an obvious one besides don't murder, right? But what's a law that everybody would point to and go like, yeah, that's a law. Like that's a normal. Um, I guess first thing that comes to mind is just speeding. Like, ah, like don't speed. Everybody thinks of speeding when yeah. I ask this in class. Okay. Everybody, it's like, probably the easy one. <laughs> no, it's a great, it's a great one okay. because A, it's got everything packed into it. Like it's got moral and ceremonial aspects to it. Um, and it's very clear, right? So in most states, I know I lived in St. Louis for a long time and in Missouri, when I actually looked it up for a class I was working on, uh, turns out that it's against the law in the state of Missouri to go over five miles an hour over the stated speed, which I did not know that there, it was actually over the stated speed that is when you break the law, um, not just merely going one mile an hour above it. Um, at least in Missouri, I'm not giving legal advice. <laughs> Don't try this at home. <laughs> yes, but that's the point is we think of speeding, which is you can't you can't violate the posted speed limit. It's an upper limit and then highways I think they have lower limits like you can't go below 40 mm-hmm. miles an hour or something like that. And um and so it's very clear. You either do or you don't. You either stay within that range or you exceed that range. When you exceed it, what happens? You get pulled over or, or you get away with it oh, sometimes. Yeah. I think most people get away with it 99% <laughs> of the time. Not saying I do. I don't know what that's like at all. Right. But um. right. Nobody in Texas speeds, no, so you're no. safe. <laughs> yeah. What, what happens, so, like worst case scenario? Worst case scenario, you get pulled over. Maybe you resist. Uh, resist. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I'm like <laughs> going to the, the furthest extent that here. That was the real worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking more of a ticket. Getting a ticket, yeah. yeah warning ticket. a financial ticket. penalty. Right, right. right. Uh, where they say, okay, it's going to be $250 because you went this far over the speed limit. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you go too far above the speed limit, so like I think over 20 miles an hour, you can get arrested for reckless driving. Mm-hmm. Um, don't resist arrest. Then. <laughs> yeah, don't. <laughs> if, if, so far as you can help it, don't yeah. resist arrest. Yeah. Um, so I think that captures – uh, you know, the very plain sense of how we think of law, legislation, statutes today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that it's, there's a very clear rule stated. You either cu- keep it or you break it. You have parameters within which you can keep this law. You can flourish. You can drive along your happy, merry way to your happiness. 
Um, but if you go above it, then, um, then there's a penalty. And the, and the penalty is there to basically help people keep the law, to incentivize them to keep the law. Um, and then there's all kinds of issues of justice about how fairly you apply the penalty. Cause again, 99% of people don't get pulled over for speeding. Um, so the practices that go along with that, those are issues of justice, that invisible, fuzzy notion of what's fair and what's not given the uh, proper ruling of a society. Um, and it also has kind of, moral ethical aspects to that law too because you could ask you know just play five-year-old and say well why not speed like why what's the purpose of the law why not Mm. oh those are real questions oh okay well all right um why not speed well i think for one um endangering the lives of those around you yeah probably be the first thing that comes to mind so let's let's play like uh nihilist atheist in a philosophy class (laughs) okay what's so wrong with endangering people around you as long as you're not hurting anybody endangering them shouldn't be a crime as long as you're not actually hitting them or doing something Mm. bad to them um i'm not sure how to answer that i didn't prepare her that i was going to put her on the spot (laughs) wow you just shut down at the very first layer of questioning (laughs) wait can you restate the question i'll I'll give this another try (laughs) what's wrong with endangering people um, well, I guess my thought is if you, if I value human life, then the value would go so far as to say, it's not just endangering someone, but it's the risk of endangering someone. Right. Okay. So we, we've already put like a moral value on just even risking somebody's life or being ne- negligent in some mm-hmm. way. Right. We, and so that's why you can go to jail for just going so high above. It's not that you hurt anybody, but that you put people at risk. Um, yeah. So you're already getting a feel for the moral boundaries of the law. And then, you know, if you say, well, why not just hit people and like bump off people out of your way, which some people have done, we, what would be the answer? <laughs> Do you have an answer for that? <laughs> why not just kill people wantonly with your car on the street? Um, well, I guess it depends on the, if I'm using my own moral framework, I guess it would mean that uh, people's lives matter and God created us all in his image. And, yeah. you know, the, the reasoning goes on from there. But and again, that's my own, yeah. my own faith, my own background and moral framework. But I think we'd like to say whether you're an atheist or not, that you don't believe you should just be able to kill anybody anytime you right. want, right? Or endanger their lives. Like function um, well in a society together. Yes, yeah. exactly. So I think, I, I think speeding is a good example of where it's seemingly simple. And of course, when people get pulled over for speeding, they often, say heinous things to cops like, why aren't you stopping real crime? And um, Which we understand the sentiment, but we have to say like there actually is a moral communal aspect to speeding. Like it's not, it's not just a law pulled out of nowhere. It actually has something to do with how we think about the nature of other human beings, how we think about people's ability to be, be happy and flourish and do the things that, they're, uh, that they have the right to do within mm-hmm. our system of thinking. Okay. So even thinking through the issue of why not speed or why have a law about speeding, we're already getting the kind of like moral and political philosophy um, and legal philosophy and legal reasoning. Um, notice that we think of law as here's a law. It's you either do it or you don't do it. And if you don't do it correctly, then you get a violation. And the violation is to incentivize you to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Punish crime and punishment, as it were. Um, what if I were to tell you <laughs> – <laughs> that that is not at all how the biblical authors think of law. I think that would that would come as a surprise, probably to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, it it, it does. 
Like, I know. I, I teach I've this seen regularly. the looks of surprises. I, I've seen those looks on people. Or maybe not even surprise. More like, what you talking about, Willis? Mm. Like, it's kind of like... Prove it. Yeah, say more, but I don't believe it, right? Uh-huh. Um, and so this is the the conundrum of, you know, when we talk about turning up the biblical author's voices, we also mean their worldview, their views of law, their views of legal reasoning, and turning down our views of legal reasoning, mm. which seems so natural to us that, I mean, honestly, I bet a bunch of people right now are thinking, like, what other view of law is there? You either break or you keep the law, and that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the breaking and keeping metaphor, again, these are metaphors, um, cause you can't actually break a law and you can't keep a law. Mm-hmm. Um, but the metaphors work in our system of governance and, and statutes and laws. But, um, but the metaphors, you'll notice the biblical authors don't use breaking and keeping. Um, now they use keeping the law all the time. That, so that's shamar is the verb that's associated with the keep. But to keep here means to guard or to tend to something. So you keep a garden, you keep mm-hmm. sheep, um, you, or you keep watch at the gate or something like that. So it's this idea of tending to and fostering and mm-hmm. causing something to grow or causing something to go about its way the way it's supposed to. So that's the primary metaphor we get with law. There is no metaphor of breaking the law um, mm-hmm. and certainly not breaking with a, a penalty, even though I have to assume the biblical authors, you know, thinking about the Mosaic law, I have to assume that the penalties aren't there for nothing. They are actually meant to be like, hey, there are certain things you just can't do. The other thing, if we think about justice, the notion, you know, this broad notion of justice and visible, fuzzy view of justice, um, in in the Torah and in the New Testament, which follows along with the Torah, um, there is no jailing or incarcerating somebody. So if you got pulled over for driving your chariot too fast, you know, in the Iron Age (laughs) – um, there is no jail that you're supposed to be sent to. Um, and so we have to think about a system, a legal system that is trying to uphold justice for everybody um, that doesn't believe in incarcerating people, right? Mm-hmm. So now now we realize we have left the boundaries <laughs> of American thought and Western yeah. European thought on law. We're outside of what they call tort law at this point, And we're really talking about uh, what was common in the ancient Near East, a common sense of law, that law was meant to teach, instruct, and to guide and offer mm. precedence, but it's not actually set up in this high statutory way and, and think thought about as like penalties and crimes and checks and balances and deterrence. And even though those might be there and they might have their effects, that's not the focus of the law. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned in the past too, over these past episodes, that we tend to like, um, at least in I and I'll speak for myself. I like a good list. I like a good <laughs> don't we some, all some good bullet points, you know. And yeah. so I think often we probably bring that into our concept of law of like a contract that has all of these things of what you can do and what you can't do. And you're saying that the law in a biblical sense is more like, um, if I could use the another analogy of um, like the the. Then the child uh, guard oh, yeah. guards child on on a, on a yeah, yeah on a bowling yeah. alley. You oh, know? oh yeah yeah um, the kitty like, rails. Yeah, where yeah. it's like these are it's a it's a boundary or like guidelines of how you can live within that. Would you say yeah. that's more more along the lines of what biblical law looks like? Oh, I think you're exactly right on the list. How many times have I talked to somebody where they're like in a point of panic and they're just like, just tell me what to do, right? <laughs> and sometimes it's appropriate in, in, a, mm-hmm. in a crisis. But often the answer of what you should do is like, is become, grow in wisdom, mm-hmm. right? Which is the most frustrating thing in the world to hear at that point <laughs> in your life. Um, yeah. And like here, we'll put up some kitty guards for you. Like, don't do these things because that would be super foolish. Like, mm-hmm. 
uh, a common one. I'm experiencing depression, so I started smoking marijuana. I I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say this, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, marijuana is horrible for mental illnesses, right? It like can uh, set, it can cause uh, schizoid affective disorders to set in, it, depression. It makes things worse. Like, don't. So I can give a rule at that point and say, like, look, you should just nobody should touch marijuana, uh, maybe in general, but certainly not if you have some mental health issues. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about more guiding and shaping people along the way as a group of people, as a community. Um, so the temptation is always going to be like, just give me the the tick boxes and then I'll tick the boxes and then I'll feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my wife loves to make lists and she loves checking boxes. <laughs> and uh, Selena, who works at the center, she loves to check things off, right? So there's nothing wrong with doing that. But why wisdom and discernment doesn't come through ticking boxes. That's mm-hmm. I think that that's the bottom line. And so that's mm-hmm. why when we look at the law of the Old Testament and the law reiterated in the New Testament through Jesus, it never is a box ticking law. It's always like you're going to have to think about this um, and you're going to have to think about this carefully. And I'm going to give you some broad ideas uh, with some concrete print, uh, concrete applications uh, that will help you understand the principles. But even then, you're going to have to think about it even more. And, and in fact – you know, Moses gives the law, he comes and declares it to the people, and they say, yes, we'll do these things, and he does the covenant thing with them. And then he, what does he spend most of his time doing? Adjudicating cases that aren't clear according to the law, mm-hmm. right? In fact, his father-in-law has to come in and he's like, what is this you're doing? You're wasting all your time adjudicating these cases. Like, pick some wise men to do this for you. So even within the Torah, if you read it and you're like, oh my goodness, these are exhausting list of things to do and don't. Well, in those situations, apparently, in the real life of the people who were living that law, um, there was a thousand variations that couldn't be accommodated by the law. Mm. And anybody who knows a lawyer or who is a lawyer knows there are a million complicating factors that keep the law from being applied in any kind of simple or direct way. So um, statutory law like we have in the United States goes on for hundreds and thousands of pages because they're trying to apply it to every single instance, mm-hmm. uh, or create precedences that apply. So we have to step back, um, and say, okay, everything we thought about law, it's not wrong. It's just different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so what is their view of law like? Um, I think, uh, me as a father, there was a point in my life where my, I had four children who were all under the age of five, um, and they were. It was like herding cats, and you know, a couple of them would just launch off in a direction and had no sense of what was dangerous or not. And so, I found myself for I feel like it was a few years, maybe it was just six months or a year, but it felt like years. Where I feel like all I said to my children was like, "Don't do that." I was I was the guardrails at the bowling. Like, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't don't go over here. Don't go over here. And like. I remember vividly like holding a baby and like running to the back gate of the, <laughs> of the steps going down the deck, you know, like trying to and going, no, no, don't do, don't go there. Don't. Um, and, and you could, I, I just remember at some point, like oh, if somebody just followed me around the day and just wrote down the words that came out of my mouth <laughs> they, and they said, what kind of a parent is Drew? I, I would look like a maniacal tyrant, right? <laughs> um, just like, don't do this. Mostly don't do this. Don't do that. And then sometimes like, can't you treat your brother nicely? Can't you do that? You know, like, um, so I think we have to be careful also about reducing the, uh, legal teaching to the, to the list as well. And just saying, well, it says this, 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 and this, therefore 
this is must this must be how God feels about this or this how he wants us to feel about these things. And I say that like I can think of some sexual crimes that are listed as as problem problematic behavior that cannot be tolerated in Israel and uh that that I think is that kind of teaching like hey you can't do it. You can't open the back gate and just walk off the deck kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's the full breadth of teaching about how God feels about something. So that to say there is danger and like everything, there's danger in just simply pointing to a text and saying, this is what it says. Therefore, this mm-hmm. is what it means. Kind of reminds me of whenever Jesus said, I forget the specific, you probably know the reference I'm thinking of, but where he says um, to a certain group of, of religious people, I forget which sect they were a part of, but um, I think it was the Sadducees, it was uh, regarding the resurrection, but like right. Moses, Moses for your, um, be, because of your, um, how does he put it? This hardness of heart. This because is your uh, Lazarus heart. Yeah, and the rich okay. man. Okay. Yeah, 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 I'm getting my analogies mixed yeah. up, but um, so in that he almost is saying the law was written for for these reasons, but there's there's something bigger going on above just the law that is here. Um, how do we kind of discern the bigger thing that's happening above? So, like for example, in in your parenting, there was a there was a something bigger happening above just the day to day like do's and don'ts. How do we find that hmm. um, as we're reading the do's the what we would perceive to be the do's and don'ts of the law? How do we find yeah. like the bigger thing that's actually happening? Um. Yeah, that's a good question. I I think the mistake would be just to look at the law itself. The the and what what, what we say law, we're talking about the Torah. Mm-hmm. But anybody who's read the Torah realizes that most of the Torah is not law. It's not legal teaching. Uh, the great majority of it is um, a prose. It's it's story. It's narrative uh, with poetry, and then it has big chunks of legal teaching in it as well. Uh, a lot of ritual teaching. So even then, I would say. They could have written a book that was nothing but legal, uh, legal instruction, legal code, uh, and, and set that aside and been like, this is the legal code. Everything mm-hmm. else is story. Everything else is poetry. But instead they embed sections. So in Exodus, you have this whole story of the Exodus to the Red Sea. You have the poem about the Red Sea crossing. And then you have the story of Moses going up on the mountain. Then you have this little chunk of condensed teaching of legal teaching. Uh, and then you go back into the story and then you go um, back into the, um, through the ritual instructions for the priest and the and the temple or the tabernacle. Um, so the fact that they put all of these things side by side means that they think that the ritual instructions and the legal teaching and the story it came with all belong together. Mm. Uh, and they all they all need to be interpreted alongside one another. Um, so I think the danger is trying to look just at the legal teaching and trying to make sense of it and not looking at how it how it helps us to understand the story. So for a simple example, as we've talked about in previous episodes, Genesis has a lot of sexual misbehavior, like a lot, <laughs> over the top. Um, and for my students, they always say, like, why isn't the narrator coming in and saying, and that was wrong, and that was evil in the sight? I'm like, you got to wait till kings till you get like, and that was evil in the sight of Yahweh, right? Mm. Um, and I'm like, yes, you're dying for an omniscient narrator who will make moral calls here. Mm-hmm. But you get nothing. You get silence. Then you get to Leviticus 18 where you have this list of uh, – long list of close relatives that you can't have sexual relationships with. Um, and then, of course, the question comes up like, well, what's a close relative, right? And then it lists close relatives. Um, and actually, I have it here. Um, it goes through all of these kinds of relatives and you can straight up put names of people from Genesis next to them, Right. 
So um, you will not uncover the nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother. Um, so that Lot's daughters, they uncover the nakedness of their father. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. Reuben does that. Uh, or uncover the nakedness of your sister, Abraham. Um, or she, since she is your sister, that goes on. And uh, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your aunt or your daughter-in-law. Judah has sex with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, unknowingly, but it's because she, he thought she was a prostitute. So you got that. Uh, a woman and her daughter, that would be Lot as well. And this is where we realize, okay, they really are pointing back to Genesis when they say, and you shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister, uncovering her na- nakedness while her sister is still alive. And you're like, okay, Jacob, mm-hmm. Rachel, and Leah, yeah. uh, you're in the gun sites here. So we realize that the, even the legal reasoning is is working together with the narrative of Genesis to help help us finally understand what we suspected was problematic and probably not right in the eyes of God. We can actually now say, like, no, it actually violates something about uh, the sexual nature of humans and how we're meant to be. There's something wrong there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might want to say, well, okay, before God's instruction at Sinai – that wasn't fleshed out, so there's some grace in that period, or however you want to uh, legitimize it, if you think that's what it needs uh, needs to happen. But by the time you get to Sinai, God appearing before His people, He's saying, "Look, y'all, no more. We're not we're not going to do this anymore. Uh, sexuality is a very particular sport." And again, um, I feel like we've mentioned this, but if we haven't, it's worth mentioning. There is no. You know, this is a long list of teaching about improper sexual relationships. So you can't have sex with your wife at certain points. That would be abominable. You, men can't have sex with uh, other men, women with other women. Can't have sex with your neighbor's spouse. Um, you can't have sex with an animal, right? Uh, and then you have this long list of relatives. And nowhere does it say once in here, like, and here's here who you should be having sex with. Like, and you're you're just waiting for it, like okay, I got it. No, 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 no. What's the yes here? And the answer again goes back to Genesis two. In the beginning, God creates man in His image, male and female, and He couples them. Um, and if we didn't think that that narrative was a strong argument, which which the law can now sh- sculpt out a little bit more, why that's a strong argument, um, then we don't understand how narrative reasons with us. Which is okay. Mm-hmm. We don't understand how narrative reasons with us. We have a couple episodes coming up. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> where we're going to talk about how narrative reasons with us. But in this case, the law is actually crafting more than what the narrative said. So in the same mm-hmm. way, poetry sometimes interpreted narrative. Law is interpreting narrative here as mm-hmm. well. It's hmm. amazing. So how do we move um, from like the legal principle to again? You're like giving some examples of how that actually like how places in Leviticus are pointing to things that happened in Genesis and saying, "Hey, that wasn't that wasn't great," or "That wasn't great." You know how we can actually use it as being interpretive. Um, so how do we see the laws more than just a list of do's and don'ts? Uh, what hmm. does that look like practically? Um, part of it is just reading big chunks of it. The same thing with poetry. Read it out loud. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll be surprised that you hear themes returned to over and over again and dealt with in different ways. That won't solve the problem. I mean, anybody who has ruled over a household and tried to keep children and everybody in check and like, uh, you know, as parents, everybody, know, everybody who's a parent knows exactly what I'm getting ready to say is um, governing over people is difficult. It's complex. <laughs> There are lots of like uh, case-by-case scenario. I did this with one child, with one citizen of our kingdom. (laughs) 
with another citizen, I have to apply a different, a slightly different standard, but there can still be justice between those different standards between mm. those different people. Which requires wisdom. Which requires discernment and wisdom. Yeah. Yes. So we're back to uh, the whole wisdom trope uh, throughout. Um, I think I would turn to this one, this one tactic that uh, we, we see, and we'll see some other ones in the next episode. But one tactic that you see throughout the Torah is the giving of a principle, a very broad principle, um, which will immediately raise all kinds of questions. Well, what about this? What about that? Um, and then giving concrete instances to shape how you think about that principle. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that the, the difficult version of this is, uh, God writing with his own finger into the tablets, thou shalt not kill, putting those tablets in the hand of a man who murdered somebody, Moses, right? And then Moses comes down and and God himself, the finger that had written those, had murdered children in Israel or sorry, in Egypt. Um, And then he comes down, sees that they're having an orgy to the golden calf and the Levites go through and kill uh, 3,000 of their own countrymen. And so it, it raises the question, what exactly do you mean by murder, right? Because there's lots of killing going on. When does killing become murder? Well, the law is going to flesh that out. Mm-hmm. Um, that principle gets fleshed out with, in this case, it's a murder. In this case, it's not. If the man, if two men get in a fight and they quarrel, if there's a tool used, if there's not a tool used. Mm-hmm. So they're aware of the ambiguities and some of those broad principles. Um, a great example of this is Exodus 21. Uh, just because it's so famous, some might even say it's infamous, um, this broad principle of an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. So this comes, uh, the first statement of this in Exodus 21 is when two men are fighting and a, um, and a pregnant woman gets tangled in and she gets struck so that her child comes out. Uh, and it says, you know, they must pay as the judge determines, which again is somebody adjudicating the, the case. And then in uh, Exodus 21, 23, but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Okay. Now that seems, okay, simple problem. If you think this is a list of do's and don'ts, you got a serious problem on your hands because think with me about cases where somebody harms somebody else, but you wouldn't want to repay them with the same harm. Um or it would be unjust or unfair to repay them. So sexual assault, right? You wouldn't say, okay, you sexually assaulted this person, so we're going to sexually assault you. And then mm-hmm. the question becomes like, well, who's going to do that? And doesn't that just create a whole cycle? And even the ancient rabbis are already struggling with this law because they're they're kind of looking at it as if it might be a, a do or don't rule. And they give this example of, well, what if a one-eyed guy pokes out the eye of a two-eyed guy, mm-hmm. right? Um the retribution would be, if it's just pure retribution, if it's just a rule that's broken and therefore retributive, uh, then you just poke out the eye of the one-eyed guy. But now you see, no pun intended, um, <laughs> he can't see. He's now blind, which if the idea was to do harm for harm, you've actually created more harm by creating him a blind, uh, making him into a blind person. So I, I would say this, there's an easier remedy to this is actually just read on. Um, mm. Take Dory's instructions of just keep swimming and just say, <laughs> just keep reading. Because the very next two sentences, you know, if, if eye for an eye, tooth for tooth is the principle, the very next two sentences are the concrete application mm. of how they want you to think about the principle. And it's kind of shocking, right? Because, well, you hear high for an eye, tooth for tooth. We're in Texas. I don't know. What do people in Texas, you've been here for a couple of years. What do people in Texas, 
you say eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. What do they think that means? Like, what are the feels that come along with that? Mm. Well, I'm I'm cautious to speak for all Texas, but or I can Tennessee. speak. I can speak for the stereotype <laughs> at least. Um, so I I think the the idea of individualism and and freedom and rights and all of that is very much um, emphasized at least in yep. this region. So um, I think that idea of like retribution is definitely something that is emphasized. So. Um, how would that comfort somebody to say, hey, look, man, it's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. How, could somebody say that in a in a situation in which they felt they were comforting the person? I, You know, I think so. Yeah, I think who, so. Who in what situation? So, Can you imagine, <laughs> imagine one for us? I think I think the idea if, if uh, a trespasser came and hurt someone in your family, on your property, the idea that you could defend yourself and take that person out. I'll, I'll leave the, the, the color <laughs> and texture of yeah. what that means uh, to your imagination. But um, I think that would maybe, obviously, wouldn't fix the problem, but I right. think it would add an element of justice to the situation. Okay. Yeah. I like it. Justice. Now, the question is, is that biblical justice right. or not, right? <laughs> um, so there, that, that actual issue is addressed in the Torah as mm-hmm. somebody comes into your house, uh, depending on their intent in the middle of the night, actually um, – it can be a capital crime to kill them or not, right? Depending on how how it shakes out. So, okay, so eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, retribution, right? Here we go. Here are the concrete instances in which Moses here wants us to think about these things. When a man, so this is literally the next sentence, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. Next sentence. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. So that's a little shocking, right? Because you're thinking like, this is about me. If somebody ever harms me, then they're going to get theirs. You know, somebody's going to, some judge is going to pronounce a decree and they're going to be harmed in some way. And yet the concrete instances that they go to are if somebody, and I'm looking at you, uh, if you mistreat your servant, then you have to let them go because of their eye. If you mistreat, mm-hmm. almost like a, if you mistreat a servant, even their eye or even a tooth, um, then you have to release them, right? And uh, it's really eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. And Exodus 21 seems to be a statement of protection for people who are vulnerable with res- reference to people who have power over them, mm-hmm. um, which is shocking. Um Maybe less so if you turn to Jesus in Matthew 5, where he teaches on this passage, you have heard eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, if someone strikes your cheek, turn to him, the other one. So he, he, he actually interprets very similarly. He says, like, look, when someone, if somebody strikes you, uh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, if somebody strikes you, it's all about power and vulnerability, right? And he says, basically, don't be afraid to be vulnerable. It's okay. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to take for you. If he asks you to go a mile, go two miles. If he asks for your tunic, give him your cloak. Be vulnerable, right? Uh, what he's showing is he's aware of how the principle and the concrete instances work together in eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and that it's not just about somebody getting theirs, uh, getting their due or their comeuppance. It's actually asking us to think about the, the people and the places in our lives where we have power over them and not to abuse that power when people are vulnerable with reference to us. So it's a very wow. powerful teaching. But you can imagine someone just putting that on their coffee cup. You know, I can I can do all things with the verse taken out of context, and thinking that it somehow justifies harming somebody. Mm. And it's actually the, the the concrete instances are saying, no, you're not justified in harming somebody. Mm. Some some also point out that 
this could restrain the harm. Like, so uh, for an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth is saying like, you might want to kill somebody who, who knocks your tooth out, but you can only knock their tooth out. Mm -hmm. Okay. That, that could be included in there as well, but that's not the concrete instance that's given to us to to shape out our thinking about eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Hmm. Wow. That's really interesting. Um, Well, I hope this has been helpful and kind of rethinking about what the law looks like as you read through places where I guess it would be technically classified as the law. Um, As you mentioned, it's kind of interwoven throughout narrative and poetry. So, but that's great. So your suggestion is read it all together. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Don't isolate just the law. Don't skip the poems. Now we're saying don't skip the law. (laughs) (laughs) Read read them out loud and let them let them hit you. And and kind of like the proverbs, when you read big chunks chapters of proverbs at the same time, or listen to them, get an audio Mm. version. You'll hear themes and uh, ideas recurring over and over again and a theme and then a variation, a theme and then a variation. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's meant to shape our thinking. Hmm. That's great. Well, be sure to check back again for episode eight. We're going to talk a little bit more about what this looks like and especially how the law kind of creates a a story and makes us the characters. Uh, We're going to talk about what that looks like and um, how to translate what the law is actually telling us and the boundaries that it's giving us. Um, into our own lives. So you won't want to miss it. We will see you again. Thanks for listening to Discover Your Roots. This podcast is brought to you by the Passages team and is made possible by our generous donors. If you'd like to make a contribution to the work we do, please visit passagesisrael.org and click the donate button. To find more resources about the Bible in its original context, the roots of the Christian faith in Israel, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, Jewish Christian relations, and more, subscribe to our newsletter at passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. Again, that's passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. You can also follow us on social media to learn more about Israel and the Bible at Passages Israel. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, I'm Matana DeWitt. Thanks for listening.